Good afternoon. Welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. Very pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from a snowy Israel. We're getting, apart from on the Golan, which, which uh, gets snow far more regularly, we're starting to get uh, snow in the uh, Jerusalem area. I don't think it's going to settle, uh, but uh, amazingly in Israel, considering everything that's going on in Israel and the world, um, you know, the, the snow reports led the news and uh, kept hold and wrapped attention of the Israeli public for at least 10 minutes out of an hour. Um, it's amazing, I've always said it's amazing no matter what else is going on, wars, conflicts, rocket attacks, uh, Iran, uh, there's nothing which uh, drives Israelis uh, more crazy than, uh, than the weather. So um, that's, that's what uh, has been on a lot of Israelis' minds tonight, at least. But uh, um, I want to take us a few days, ba a few days back and um, what everyone was talking about, and still will be once the weather settles, is what has been described as the potential big bang of Israeli politics. Uh, and that is the potential, the possibility of former prime minister and leader of the opposition, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, leaving politics perhaps for some time, perhaps even for good. Uh, why? Uh, the, the simple reason is um, it was released uh, towards the end of last week that negotiations between Netanyahu, his lawyers, and the state attorney's office uh, on a plea bargain. As we know, as we've spoken about, uh, uh, Netanyahu is currently facing three criminal trials um, for fraud, for breach of trust and for bribery. The most serious one is uh, the 4,000 case for, for bribery. I'm not gonna go into the details. We, we've discussed them uh, in the past, but uh, this is a case that has the potential to go on for many years. There's a lot of witnesses. The trial already started. Obviously there could be um, uh, there lots of twists and turns and appeals. This, as I said, this has the potential if it, if it was to run its course, could go on for years. And uh, during this time, Netanyahu can remain in office, can hold a uh, position, not necessarily as a minister, uh, because once you're indicted, you can't uh, be a minister, but uh, at the moment as head of the opposition, that's no longer relevant. The question that everyone was asking is why and why now? Uh, for ever since this started, Netanyahu's main refrain has been, there is nothing in this case, in these cases, there will be nothing and I will be acquitted. That was his constant refrain uh, to the Israeli public uh, and uh, people who support him stood by him uh, on this and they, they, they stood and according to Paul still stand by him that uh, he should be fighting this to the end. But the question is why, why now? Uh, I think there's, there's many different uh, factors here. First of all, we saw recently that Arya Deri, former interior minister, a uh, very close um, ally to Netanyahu, leader of the Shas party, took a plea bargain and it was considered very, very soft. Um, considering the case 
he got off very lightly. He did resign from the Knesset, but he can run in the next Knesset. Who knows, elections could be uh, in a few months. Well, we'll have to see about that. But uh, he got off relatively lightly, no prison sentence, uh, no uh, a sentence of moral turpitude. We've talked about that before. Uh, if someone is convicted of a, a crime of moral turpitude in Israeli uh, law, they cannot run for office for seven years. Arya Derry uh, actually did uh, serve time and did, uh, did uh, have that uh, against his name, and he had to take a, um, a step out of politics for seven years, and he waited and he came back. But Arya Derry was much younger than Netanyahu is. They say, you know, if, if this happens, then Netanyahu will be well into his 80s. Uh, when he could return to politics, and who knows whether, you know, he'd be able to. Um, but so that that could be one reason. Uh, another reason, which is probably most significant as far as the timing is, at the end of this month, uh, in a matter of uh, what is it, ten, eleven days, twelve days, uh, Avichai Mandelblit, uh, the state attorney, uh, will uh, leave office, and there'll be someone to replace him. If we remember, Abichai Mandelblit went from closest Netanyahu ally, he's the one uh, Netanyahu appointed into the office, to the person who finally put the indictment, has been running um, this whole sort of affair from start to finish. He's the one probably most hated by the Netanyahu uh, sort of uh, chorus line, the people who support him, no matter what, they blame Mandelblit, uh, they blame a deep state, whatever it is behind him. Uh, and he's become the sort of bugbear of the, uh, the pro-Netanyahu camp. Uh, but he, he resigns at the end of this month, or he leaves his position, his tenure is over. Um, and Netanyahu, there is a belief that Netanyahu thinks that he can get a better deal with Mandelblit. Uh, he doesn't know who will come next, but don't forget it's going to be appointed by this change government, this unity government, this government that really despises Netanyahu. Um, so perhaps he's, he's thinking, you know what, Mandelblit, we've fallen out. He's definitely not someone I feel I can trust, but at least I know him, at least I know uh, how to deal with him. It's better to take the deal now than uh, with someone who I don't know who could be far more uh, antagonistic towards me. Um, it now comes out that there's almost no chance of Mandelblit uh, having the final word on this. First of all, Mandelblit wouldn't have the final word. No state attorney would. They are the ones who negotiate the plea deal, but then it goes to uh, the Supreme Court and they would decide. Um, they have actually uh, made things worse uh, in the past uh, on a plea deal. There was a famous case of former tourism uh, minister, Stasm Sesnikov, who uh, took a plea bargain and actually ended up doing jail time um, because the Supreme Court decided that um, the plea bargain was not strong enough. And that's something that Netanyahu worries about. Uh, very strongly because according to all sources the plea deal would mean no jail time it would mean six to nine months something like that of community service um, at one point there was a debate exactly whether there would be uh, this crime of moral turpitude um, but uh, all voices coming up from the state attorney's office are that um, that that that's non-negotiable that has to be there uh, so uh, at one point, there was thoughts that maybe it would be something less than that. Maybe there'd be a deal for him to step out of politics for a few years and not the full seven. But now it seems like Commander Blit has put his foot down and said that it's a non-negotiable. Possibly, probably because there were a lot of voices that felt what was being talked about was too lenient. With no jail time, with no crime of moral turpitude, 
with a few months of community service, a fine, an acceptance of guilt or lesser guilt, throwing out uh, uh, case 2000, uh, throwing out uh, the most serious uh, uh, part of uh, case 4000, which is bribery. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of voices uh, in the judicial system that felt that it was far too soft. Um, so perhaps that's why Mandelblit has taken a far more uh, staunch line at this point, but they say that even if they came to an agreement tonight, and it's clear there is no agreement tonight, uh, it would take a long time to work out exactly the details with each case, what would happen, and then it has to obviously go to the next layer. So they say it's unless there's something extremely unexpected, it's unlikely uh, to happen. And that means that the next attorney general is going to need time uh, to come in to learn the case, the ins and outs, the details. Um, so now that puts the clock back a certain uh, extent, um, but it's clear that the Netanyahu camp wants the plea deal, uh, so much so, this is quite remarkable, and this sort of shows where we are today, um, you know, the Netany uh, Netanyahu and the Netanyahu camp for the last few years have used the whole judicial system as one of their, you know, sort of um, scapegoats, you know, the, the judicial system, there's overreach, there's judicial activism, it's got a left-wing agenda, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now we have uh, Aaron Barak, uh, Supreme, a former Supreme Court president, who probably more than anyone else uh, in the Israeli judicial system uh, is accused, and rightly so, of being the, uh, um, the leader of judicial activism. Um, and, it, and it came out that Netanyahu had personally re uh, reached out to him to try and push him into the limelight uh, uh, as being pro this plea bargain because it was felt that someone like Aaron Bark would be extremely, uh, would be listened to because he is the sort of, he has that elder statesman amongst uh, the high level judiciary. So it, it's ironic that Aaron Bark not only was he reached out to, but he said, the reason I'm doing this is because Netanyahu is always good for the judicial system. He protected us, which again, a lot of people who were hearing those words from Awan Barak saying that Netanyahu protected the judicial system at a time where they were being led to believe that they were stand stood in ideological and political opposition to the judicial system, especially judicial activism, would horrify a lot of, uh, and did horrify a lot of uh, Netanyahu and the good supporters. Uh, so we had that sort of uh, bombshell this week. What that means for Israeli politics could be massive. As I said, you know, a lot of people are calling it the Big Bang. Uh, in Israeli politics, um, there was a lot of talk about if Netanyahu does leave the scene, how long will this government last? Some people were saying only a few weeks. It's clear that now uh, it's going to be a few months, even if Netanyahu does resign um, in all his positions. It's not even clear whether he would need to resign as the head of the Likud, but almost certainly I think he would. And we got all these uh, messages that came out from different Likud bigwigs who said that they will uh, run in their next uh, elections. Uh, but if Netanyahu does resign, then it automatically um, will go to Chaim Katz, who's the head of the, I believe it's the Likud Central Committee, but he would just be temporary. They would need to have elections within a few months. According to every single poll available, the most popular uh, Likud leader after Netanyahu would be uh, Neil Barkat, by far the other. Uh, names out there, Edelstein and Katz, uh, Israel Katz, uh, wouldn't receive anything like the support that uh, nearby Cut would, which would only be a few seats, one or two, maybe three seats below what they would receive 
with Netanyahu. But the difference is uh, the right-wing parties in the coalition would sit with Nir Barkat, whether they would sit immediately or in the future, that remains to be seen, but he's not Netanyahu. And that means people like Bennett, Giron Saar, uh, perhaps even Abidur Liebman, although he also has a problem with the ultra-Orthodox parties, could conceivably sit. So if Netanyahu does leave, it's almost certain that there is a ticking clock uh, to this coalition. Uh, it, it would be far less likely to survive its term, even perhaps to the point where the, 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 the swap over or the leadership of the government, the prime minister's office would be handed over to Yair Lapid uh, in 2023. That would certainly be put in danger. The voices from the top, uh, Bennett and Lapid, are trying to reassure everybody that uh, this government is focused. It doesn't matter what happens with Netanyahu, but clearly it does. Uh, it's already being felt in the political scene. For the first time, we're seeing members, the right, more right-wing members of the coalition, uh, voting and even passing bills with the opposition, which is largely right-wing. It's another one, Sharon Cheskel, who is a right-wing member of New Hope, which is a right-wing party, pass a law, or at least pass a reading of a law today with the, uh, with the help of the opposition, which is, uh, again, something that wouldn't have happened a few weeks ago. So we are starting to see that. Well, probably if Netanyahu does leave, and again, now, probably the timetable has been put off a, a few weeks, if the plea bargain will even come in the end, uh, we know that uh, Sarah Netanyahu was for the plea deal and then she was against. Some uh, year Netanyahu was for, against. These are very uh, important figures and the Israeli media has been analysing every single figure involved and following Netanyahu and his lawyers around the last few days to see who was meeting who with when. But the fact is that it would have a massive effect. It would start because simply politics is about leverage. And if Netanyahu leaves the scene, then there is the potential of this going back to this right-wing religious bloc, um, which according to seats in the Knesset is well over, I think, uh, 70 or 80 seats, uh, an easy coalition right there. Um, so the right-wing members would have leverage because the left-wing really has nowhere to go, uh, or the left of center, or even the center, whereas the right-wing have an alternative government. And that gives them leverage. And also the right-wing members might start thinking, if we're gonna to go to elections, we don't wanna be the ones accused of sitting in this left-wing government or in this unity government. And the left-wing members also may be thinking, if this government is going to break up, I need to at least look like I'm standing firm on my ideological positions. So I think we'll, we'll start to see more of that uh, as the Netanyahu plea bargain uh, debate continues. Again, I think now, in the last few days, when there's been a bit of an impasse, it seems that uh, there's an agreement on many, many issues, but there are some that are, are still outstanding. And the fact that they, there's still no agreement with, as I said, about 12 days to the end of Mandelblit's uh, tenure leaves almost no time, uh, again, unless there's something unexpected, to run through all the necessary hoops um, to finalize this plea deal, which means the next person will come, will have to learn the case that will put everything back at least a certain amount of weeks, they may come with a completely different strategy. They may rip up everything that Mandelbit had built before. Perhaps there were certain that there will be perhaps certain understandings between Mandelblit and Netanyahu's lawyers. The next state attorney could conceivably, I'm not sure whether they would, because obviously not everyone in the office would, would leave with Mandelblit. There's quite a few professionals who would stay, uh, but it's conceivable that the next person comes in and rips everything up. 
and starts again. And that means the whole process takes a little bit longer. Perhaps that would put the Netanyahu side off a plea deal. And perhaps we'd be back to where we were a few months ago before these negotiations even started. So it remains to be seen. It does seem very clear that Netanyahu does want uh, a plea deal. Exactly what that means at the end of the day, what, what, what he can get out of it remains to be seen. Uh, but this is very serious. And for Israel's political system, it certainly would be the Big Bang uh, if it happened. So happy to answer any questions about this or anything else that's on your mind. All right, thank you so much. So the first question we have in is from Len Levin. Uh, what is the likely legal penalties that would be given to Bibi if he pleads guilty? Prison time, fines? Well, that, that's exactly what has to be negotiated in the plea deal. It's, uh, it, it's not that he would, uh, you know, be convicted or, or be uh, said to be guilty. That's, that's at the end of the very lengthy legal process. But it seems to be in everyone's interest to get a plea deal because this is going to be a very messy, very expensive, um, very elongated um, uh, legal process, as I said, which could take several years. So it's in everyone's interest to try and find uh, a solution now. Um, and everything will be worked out within the plea deal. What he, uh, what, what uh, cases or what parts of cases are thrown out, as I said, according to reports, um, case 2000, there's case 1000, 2000 and 4000. Case 2000 was always the weakest one. And they say that's going to be thrown out. And the most, uh, the harshest crime, which is that of bribery on case 4000, they said that they'll, throughout. Again, it's not that they're throwing it out, but this is the negotiation, you know, quid pro quo, uh, you know, the, the state will have to give a bit and the Netanyahu's will have to give a bit. So again, you know, that there's a lot of discussions of what's going on behind the scenes, but until it's signed, nothing is signed. You know, it's, it's almost like the, the Palestinian-Israeli uh, negotiations uh, in the past. It doesn't matter how far you go in negotiations unless, unless you get to the signing it, nothing stands, you know, it could from one day to the other or collapse and then you have to start again. So it remains to be seen exactly what would happen. Uh, of course, if there is a plea deal, he'll have to uh, plead guilty for at least some of the uh, crimes attributed to him. Um, but obviously not all of them, because that wouldn't be a particularly good deal from his side. Uh, but from the other side, they, they, they would have to make sure they at least get some something out of that and that's where probably uh, again the thing that everyone's looking for is this uh, crime of moral turpitude because that's probably uh, apart from prison time at least that's probably the thing that uh, uh, divides the two camps and something that Netanyahu camp would certainly not like to see but again he may have to just give up and accept that. Thank you an anonymous viewer asks, uh, how can the Supreme Court have the power to counter a plea bargain or other such cases? Because they, they get the final say. Uh, this is the negotiations. I guess it's sort of, if I, again, go back to that analogy of the uh, Palestinian-Israeli uh, peace negotiations, at the end of the day, the peace negotiations can be between two sides, but they have to be ratified by the government and the Knesset. So here, as it's a judicial issue, it has to be ratified by the uh, Supreme Court. Understood. Thank you. Uh, speaking of the Supreme Court, David Rosenberg asks, why has the Supreme Court been so timid about the Sheikh Jarrah evictions? I mean, uh, first of all, there's lots of different evictions. It hasn't really been timid. It actually ruled um, 
it depends what we're talking about there. Today, there was the news of a family that was evicted um, on a relatively new property because uh, they built, they took over a, a part of property, they built illegally. Uh, that property was supposed to go, uh, was supposed to be built on by the municipality for special needs school for Arab-Palestinian uh, uh, residents. It's not like it was, you know, there was news that came out that it was going to be taken and given to Israeli Jewish uh, schools and all this sort of thing, even an ultra-Orthodox yeshiva, but these are all rumors. Uh, the facts are that uh, on this property, there was zoned to be a school, it was going to be a special needs school, serving uh, the Arab-Palestinian residents of Sheikh Jarrah. Um, and last night, the uh, Israeli forces went in and evicted uh, the family that were there, uh, who, who uh, said that they would commit suicide if they were evicted. It actually went off relatively easy. Uh, they were evicted, and, and I think even even as of today, parts at least of that uh, structure were demolished. Uh, on the wider issue that came up obviously last year, and uh, according to Hamas at least, was uh, part of what ignited the war or the conflict, that, that's a wider issue. That's, that's more private uh, property. Um, that has been ruled uh, that the property is belonging to the Jewish organizations, but the Supreme Court has tried to take the, the two sides together to try and find a compromise to avert you know, nasty scenes and all the rest of it. The problem is while the Jewish side uh, has compromised quite a lot and said, you know, we're not necessarily looking to boot them out, but at least accept that this property is ours and pay a minimal symbolic rent. Uh, the other side has been emboldened by some Palestinian extremists or threatened perhaps would be a more accurate term that uh, if they accept such things, uh, they're giving in to the Zionists and they, they, they shouldn't countenance that. Um, but at some point, you know, that time will run out. The patience of the Supreme Court will certainly run out. And I'm sure that they'll, they'll be forced to rule. But again, you know, there are, there are other issues involved. If only it was just a real estate issue, which, which it is, but there are so many other ramifications involved. Thank you. Uh, Reuven Hawk asks, uh, even with the plea deal, could Netanyahu later be indicted regarding the submarine case? That's an interesting one. So um, he has never been personally implicated in the submarine deal. Uh, many of his close associates were very close advisors, a cousin, a former lawyer. Um, what's happening now, <coughs> and I believe this may be part of uh, what um, caught the attention of the, the questioner, is that the government has just decided on Sunday uh, an investigation, a state investigation into that submarine deal. Uh, it's going to be raised in the cabinet. There'll be discussions. Uh, it was put off last week. A lot of, uh, there was a lot of speculation. It was for political reasons that uh, maybe some didn't want to go for it or whatever, but it seems now it was more to do with the fact that this week there were sensitive negotiations with the German government for more submarines. So they didn't really want to, uh, you know, in the middle of those negotiations, torpedo them, if I may say. Um, uh, so basically, it's going to come up. Uh, it's a state uh, investigation. <coughs> so it's not necessarily going to bring down criminal indictments. And as I said, uh, at the moment, there is no, uh, no investigation uh, that anyone knows of that's implicating uh, Netanyahu. But obviously, if more information is found, that could change. But at the moment, he is not one of the individuals uh, named in the uh, ongoing criminal investigations. 
Thank you so much. Uh, so moving on, Larry Greenberg <coughs> asks, can a government reform without elections? Can some MKs from the coalition join right-wing parties to set up a new government without elections? Yes, uh, we've talked about that. So a no confidence. Um, it's called, I think it's called a constructive no confidence vote, where basically you have to name an alternative government to vote down the current one. Uh, you need 61 seats, where at the moment, the let's just say the right-wing religious um, opposition is 53, because there's obviously another six from the, uh, the Arab joint list. Uh, so that obviously wouldn't be part of any future government. So they have to find eight seats. Um, but for example, Tikva uh, Khadasha, um, you know, New Hope, Gidon Saar's party, Naftali Bennett's party, the two of them together would easily uh, push them over the line. But obviously there'd have to be a lot of negotiations, uh, exactly who would become prime minister, and they actually even have to name a whole government with all the different ministries allotted uh, before the voting comes up. But again, that's the sort of thing that, that could easily be negotiated behind the scenes in advance. So in theory, yes, uh, there could be um, a new government without elections. If there is going to be a new government with the liquid in it, in fact, I think that would probably be preferable for Bennett and uh, Saar, Saar who, whose party is barely, according to some polls, uh, crossing the threshold. And Bennett's party is going up and down in the polls, but certainly uh, they probably wouldn't like to go to polls because their situation and negotiations would certainly be uh, lessened uh, because according to most polls, that right-wing religious bloc with Likud is getting closer and closer to the 61 on their own. So probably uh, if we are going to have a new government, it probably will be without elections. Thank you. And Sandro Bilostrino asked, uh, yesterday TV7 Jerusalem studio reported that Israel is allegedly supplying natural gas to Lebanon through Syria. Could you shed some light on this as to why Israel might agree to such an arrangement? Well, it was, it was subsequently denied by uh, all the parties, or at least most of the parties. Um, the only reason I can think of it is because of stability. Uh, Israel certainly has an interest in a stable Lebanon. Um, I don't know if it would, you know, it, you could argue that, you know, helping a government that's uh, heavily reliant on Hezbollah would be a mistake. Um, it remains to be seen whether there is something to this or not. I can imagine there may well be something to it because it's not completely out of the question. It could be part of the negotiations, part of the um, negotiations between Israel and Lebanon on the maritime border, which obviously has uh, a lot to do with uh, natural gas discovery. So it could be part of the negotiations are to help uh, alleviate some of their uh, gas problems. So then it would agree to fairer terms on the Israeli side as part of the maritime, maritime uh, negotiations. Again, I don't really know exactly, I don't know the truth about it. Um, I, I could see it, I could see there being something to it, um, but it, uh, we'll have to wait and see if there really is uh, any truth to it in the, in the weeks to come. Thank you. Uh, in our last few minutes here, can you just give us a little update on what's happening in regards to COVID? Uh, one of our viewers asked, he's going to Israel at the end of the month and wants to know if he should reschedule. <laughs> well, considering they've been opening and closing the borders, I'm not sure if you could get in. Maybe it's best to just get in. Um, probably there's talk that either today, yesterday, in the coming days, we'll, we'll 
reached the peak of the Omicron wave. At the moment, there's about 70,000 plus known cases, probably double, if not more. They say maybe there's even 200,000 a day because a lot of people are not testing in formal facilities they're doing at home. But 70 plus known cases a day is certainly surpassing all previous records. Um, but, you know, the, the restrictions are being alleviated now. We're down to five days of isolation. Uh, they're talking about just getting rid of isolation for school kids because, like everywhere in the world, they're seeing a massive surge in Omicron cases. But what we know about Omicron is it's not as serious, not as lethal as previous waves. Um, and especially if we're already sort of, you know, on our way down with this uh, wave, um, you know, that it makes no sense to, to start uh, putting in greater restrictions. So it does seem like in the coming days that we'll already start lowering the number of, um, of uh, cases every day. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, at the moment, we're, as I said, we're, we're you know, we're, we're on the crest of this wave. So I think there's something like 200,000, uh, 250,000 children who are currently in isolation, either because they themselves have coronavirus or they came into contact with someone. I think there's, I think 650,000 people in total that's, uh, in, in isolation. I think that's maybe something like uh, six or 7% of the whole population, which is absurd. And that's the reason why they're cutting everything down. Uh, but the, the, the debate at this point is not necessarily, is it serious? Are people going to die in very heavy numbers? Because it's clear from around the world, it's not, not to say no one is dying, not to say every death is not a tragedy, but it's certainly not the numbers that we saw previous waves. So I think like many other places in the world, I saw uh, UK just took down all its restrictions. Um, I think there's an understanding that Omicron is not uh, some of the other variants and uh, has to be treated seriously. And uh, the experts already say we probably on our peak at this moment and probably the days and weeks ahead are, you know, are gonna be lessening. So um, probably in the next couple of weeks is as good as time as any to visit, I would say. You know, don't hold me to that because uh, I'm certainly no health expert, but uh, it does seem that, uh, you know, we're, we're on our way out of this particular wave. Uh, so perhaps now is the right time to, to visit. And there's no restrictions. There are restrictions that are coming in the country. You have to be W vaccinated or recently vaccinated in the last six months. But apart from that, once you come in, I think that there's no great restrictions. Sounds good. Thank you for answering that. Uh, so we've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you so much for taking time to update us this Absolutely. week. And for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar in Qatar's AIDS charity and investigation. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.